A very warm welcome to you. If this is your first time, very warm welcome. Um, great to have you with us. My name's Nathan, pastor of this rabble. Um, last week, it didn't record. Oh, shock. Um, that was a good one as well. I felt like it did a good job. I was frustrated. <laughs> like, you know, like, week before, I was like, yeah, it doesn't matter if it recorded. But this last one, I was like, oh, that was a good one. Um, so we've been going through our vision to uh, vision statement, um, which I have corrected the spelling mistake. Thank you, Ewan. It will come up a bit later. So we talked about being a, an authentic community. We talked about being an extravagantly welcoming community. Um, then last week we looked at being empowered by the Spirit, people of the presence that seek after God, welcome Him, and expect Him to turn up. God that would dwell in our meetings um, and what we're doing during the week. And then also that we would be a people rooted in the Word of God. Um, and this kind of, this talk tonight, it kind of follows on. It's like the last um, phrase in our vision statement. So I'm just going to read through the whole thing. It should come up by the wonders of PowerPoint. Well, not PowerPoint, easy worship. There it is. Look, we believe God has called us to establish an extravagantly welcoming, authentic community that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, rooted in the Bible to see Cornwall come alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. And it's kind of a natural flow that a community rooted in the Word of God and a community that is empowered by the Spirit of God doesn't just stay there. It does something. So that's why we've got a to see Cornwall come alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. Um, so that's what we're going to look at tonight. New printer is so good. So uh, <laughs> just not quite used to this. Like it just like it's so clear. It's amazing. The wonders of other technology. Sorry, <laughs> John, take that bit out of the recording. So um, don't know how we do that. So I was um, thinking about Jesus, which is good. <laughs> Almost like there's a paragraph missing from this talk. Anyway. Um, I was just thinking about what happens when in the Bible people are filled with the Holy Spirit or people go out empowered by the Holy Spirit. Or um, You see it a lot in the, the parables um, and in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit falls on someone or they say the Bible says they're empowered and then they go and do something extraordinary. Um, if you think about the, um, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, there's this amazing sequence where God um, almost peels back heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. And it says in that scripture, Jesus goes in the power of the Holy Spirit or led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And you're like, oh, you thought he'd go and do something incredible. But he goes and confronts the devil. And it's just this amazing interaction between the devil and Jesus overcomes, obviously. Um, and then I was just thinking again about an incredible move of God in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, where the, um, the, Holy, and the Holy Spirit just blitzes the disciples. Jesus has told them to wait and they're in the upper room meeting and the Holy Spirit just falls and then they speak in tongues and it doesn't just stay in the room. That's what I love about that story. It spills out. A people that are rooted in the word and um, empowered by the spirit, it doesn't stay in the building. It doesn't stay in the church. And you see, I, I just, I've used it in one of my um, Easter talks about the evidence the, uh, for the resurrection and the evidence that Christianity is real because you see the transformation in the apostles. These disciples that have been with Jesus and denied him, and especially Peter, he's been at Jesus' trial. He's denied him three times. And then Pentecost happens. Well, Jesus obviously restores him before that. but And Pentecost happens. They're overwhelmed by God's presence. They don't set up a church in the upper room. They spill out onto the streets. 
And you have the Apostle Peter give the most incredible sermon. You can read it. It's just incredible. He talks to effectively the same crowd that crucified Jesus and shows them why they've made such a humongous mistake. And then he talks about why Jesus had to die and what, he, what happened and what was going on on the cross. And he, he basically unpacks the whole of the Old Testament and says, look, this is who he was. He was the Messiah. He died and he rose again. We met with him. And they would have been eyewitnesses to that. And the people, the crowd in Acts, um, I think it's Acts 2, 37, just say this. When the people, the massive crowd, hear this fisherman who's turned into this amazing preacher, when they hear him, they say, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? And I love this. The good news of Jesus demands a response. It makes, it makes us have to make a decision, doesn't it? It has to make us choose one way, rejecting or accepting. And then verse 38, Peter just replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So when Ruth and I felt God stirring our hearts and calling us to move to Falmouth, we specifically felt God calling us to the county to Cornwall. That's why the vision statement doesn't say Falmouth. It says Cornwall. We believe that we are called as a church and as a community to, to Cornwall. We think it starts in Falmouth, but our, our, our vision is to see expressions of this church established throughout the county. Not because we want to build an empire. I can't think of anything worse. It just sounds horrific. And, and not because this is the only way of doing church. This is the way we love doing church, but no one, we aren't right and everyone else is wrong. That's not the truth at all. There's one church in Falmouth and there's one church in, in Cornwall and that's Jesus's church he's the head and there are different flavors different way and different expressions of doing things um, if you ask John Mumford about this a guy who used to lead the vineyard UK and Ireland he says that the vineyard is maybe if you think of the church as a stew the vineyard is a turnip and that's it like it's just one flavor that makes up the pot of the stew and I think that kind of sums up the vineyard because it's like it's not a glamorous vegetable just the turnip or a Swede, if you want to call it that. And we recognize that actually, what we've recognized is that I, I personally came to life in this kind of environment, in this, in this kind of setting. And we found that people, some people resonate with this way of doing church. Some people will come in and feel like this is their home, or this is the church they've been looking for. And we want to see vibrant, life-giving communities throughout the county, not just one expression here in Falmouth. And this is it's a kind of a daunting thing. There's something about vision that if it's not scary enough, it's probably not from God. This vision scares me, and I think, oh my goodness, I don't know how that's going to happen, but thankfully, I'm sure God's got a plan. But that's what we feel that God is calling us. <clears throat> and it will influence kind of what we do and how this develops in Falmouth as well. Um, we have a massive heart, and especially for raising up leaders, developing leaders, um, releasing leaders to thrive and to flourish in everything that God has in store for them, to train people up and send them out. And some of you, I'm guessing, will be in this room because you have already felt that call on your life, that actually you feel called to another town in Cornwall or maybe further afield altogether. And we want to equip and train you up to be able to go and do that. There are a number of pictures that God's given us um, through people. It's interesting when you say you're planting a church, people suddenly come up like, oh, sure, I've got 
funny, you're on my mind and I'm just going to email you. Like, I had emails come through and say, oh, I've just had this picture for you. I didn't know what you're up to, but it makes sense now. One of them um, was about the packet ships. So in, I did a bit of Googling this. So Falmouth in 1688 was appointed the Royal Mail packet station for all the mail and everything else, all the communications to go out f down from London, down to here, and then from here around the empire. And this was a key strategic role carrying mail and messages to and from the far-flung reaches of the expanding British Empire. The packet service made Falmouth the information hub of the empire. This is education. You, you guys are learning this, aren't you? Ruth's learning this as well. It's me Googling. Um, second only to London for knowing the news of the day. There you go. So this is 1688. So what, what we feel that is Falmouth is a small place. But it has a, it can have, and it will have a global impact. And so it's one of those pictures of actually it punches above its weight in terms of what could happen here. And the second picture is kind of a long, a similar theme. Is um, obviously it's a harbour. It's one of the deepest natural um, harbours in the world, and it's a place of refuge and it's a place of restoration. And um, I don't know if you like. I love driving up past the docks up to Pendennis Point around the scenic route as it's called on the um, signs um, where you can I don't know why but it is lovely but there's quite a lot of scenic routes as you drive around Cornwall aren't there don't know why you'd anyway um, and you can look down on that road into onto the ships that are in the dry docks and in the, in the wet docks there and you're basically at the bridge level with some of the big navy ships that are in there at the moment and these huge ships are being repaired and refurbished and restored and the other picture we have is that this church would be a place of restoration. It would be a place where people can come and experience the love of God and then go back out, equipped and refreshed. Back out, equipped to do works of service. And then another kind of, this passage has come back again and again, is that Ephesians 2, where it talks about coming alive in Christ. So many of us have had this word over you. Oh, we just feel this is going to be a community about coming alive in Christ. Not that for people that are coming to life in Christ for the first time, but also that people would come alive in their faith. Just going to read it. Chapter 2 of Ephesians just says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the, of, the, of the ruler of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. At the heart of all these pictures is the sense that we would establish a community that sees new life, it sees people come to life. We want to see people come alive, both of those who have faith and have lost passion and purpose and all those, also those who have no faith at all. Um, and in all of this, um, our heart is to, to point people towards Jesus. This is not, well, we've said it before, the Nathan and Ruth show is a rubbish one. You don't want to see that. We merely want to signpost people to Jesus. He is the one that restores he reconciles, he forgives, and he gives purpose. It's not us. We have to be a community focused on Jesus, worshipping Jesus, captivated by Jesus, led by Jesus, imitating Jesus. But if I was going to ask a question, do you really think that faith in Jesus can bring hope 
and freedom. Do you really think that faith in Jesus can bring hope and freedom? Now, some of you will think, well, the Sunday school answer, and I know the answer in my head is yes, but it doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel, if we're honest, that we're living in freedom and hope. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it feels like we're in a battle. I've talked about that before. That we live in this tension of the kingdom at war with each other, the good and the bad, the light and the dark. Here's another question for you. What would do you think Jesus would be doing if he physically lived here in Cornwall in 2018? Like, what would his day-to-day activity look like? you ever thought about that? Like, oh, what's Jesus up to? It's an interesting one, isn't it? What would Jesus be doing now? There's an incredible passage, which I've just been mulling this week in the Gospel of Luke. Right at the beginning, it's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in chapter 4. Um, and it's a face before he's done any miracles. It's before, I think, I was just skimming through, but I think it's before anything uh, major has happened. Um, and it's effectively, the way I treat it is it's Jesus' manifesto for his three years of ministry. And a bit of context, so Jesus has just been baptized, where God says, this is my son whom I love. And then after he's baptized, as I spoke about earlier, he's filled with the Spirit and taken into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. And full of the Spirit, he goes into the wilderness. And then it says this, um, if you want to flick in your app or open a Bible to Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it just picks up, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. This was kind of be like a thing of like daily or weekly readings and it just happened to be this passage in Isaiah. Unrolling it he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Drops the mic. Boom. Can you imagine the scene? Everyone's like, what's going on? And then hashtag, isn't that Joseph's son? Like, awkward. Who does he think he is? Like, this is the guy that grew up around here. And suddenly he's like, this is me. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that the most incredible manifesto? That most incredible um, to-do list in some ways. So what would Jesus do if he was walking around Falmouth tonight or in Cornwall this week? Another way I can think about phrasing this question would be, what would it look like if the kingdom of God, God's rule and his reign, the place where what Jesus wants to happen happens, what would it look like if that broke in in Cornwall, in Falmouth now, here tonight? Another way to look at it would be, if heaven broke into earth, the peace, the joy, the love, the perfect rule of God in heaven broke in that's kind of what we pray isn't it your kingdom come what would it look like what would it look like I think and it seems to fit with what Jesus said that those who were poor and in need would hear the good news those who were suffering from the power of injustice 
um, where it talks about the prisoners, I just kind of think about the power of injustice and the structural sin within our society. Those people, the oppressed, would be released. There would be no sickness. There would be no death. The blind would have their sight if heaven broke into earth. And then it's time, isn't it, for us to declare over this town and wherever we live the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what the cross and the resurrection are all about. This is always now the year of the Lord's favor. We are called to this. Sometimes I feel as if we as a people, as a church, don't realize the authority uh, we have as followers of Jesus. What what we're called to, um, an empowered people rooted in the Bible, following the teaching of Jesus, proclaim the good news to the poor. Whatever definition of the poor you use, whether it's spiritually poor, physically poor, emotionally poor, or materially poor, Jesus didn't just proclaim the good news to those he met. He was he was the good news to those he met as well. He demonstrated the nature of the kingdom of God. He did this by healing those that were sick. There were no sick people around Jesus. Everyone was healed. There wasn't that many dead people around Jesus either. They got raised to life. It's not just this. The biggest miracle ever, their sins were forgiven. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees were like, who are you to do that? Who are you to say you can forgive sins? You're not God. He's like, well, actually, I am. I can forgive sins. He brought freedom to those who were oppressed. And that surely has to be our mission as a church. We need to be a community that is a good news to those who are in need in this town and further. Not because by serving those in need we are being saved, but by serving those in need we are demonstrating the faith we already have. And I believe a community that spends itself, uses effort, spends the resources the financially that it has on this town will cause a stir. And it caused questions to be asked. I was just chatting to Pat earlier. She's like, we really have a heart to see um, a provision for homeless people within this town to be able to wash their clothes and have showers. And I was like, that resonates with the heart of God, doesn't it? That people will be treated with dignity and have an opportunity like that. And we've not started yet. We're, we're honest. We're just working out where to start, where to join, where to partner. John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard back in the 80s, just says this. I love this quote. Seeking justice and being moved by true social concern aren't options. They are the marks of a true apprentice of Jesus. It's not optional. It's the mark of a true apprentice of Jesus. What I sometimes think is we can get, um, we can think it's all down to the ministries of the church. And what I found is this is a day-to-day discipline of serving the poor when you see the poor and part of the the word compassion means it's like feeling something down in your guts Jesus moved by compassion is like moved to his very guts not just to see and walk on but to stop and to engage and help however possible I think the natural expression of a community that is rooted in in the Bible and empowered by the Holy Spirit is that it will be mobilized to bless this town and beyond to bring that life, to bring the hope and freedom wherever we go. Boom. Shall we stand?